You're listening to Season 2 of the Live 360 Podcast with Tony Sutherland, and this is Episode 63. All right, guys, let's just jump right on in. Today's podcast is all about learning through failure. In fact, the uh, content from my podcast today is coming from the first few pages of my latest book, Leader Slips, Learning and Leading Through Failure. And uh, you can get a copy at leaderslips.com. I've created a resource for leaders there. There's journals and articles to read along with the book. You can also get a copy on my website at tonysutherland.com. And you can also get it on Amazon and get a digital copy on Kindle as well. Um, So let's just jump right on in. About 23 years ago, I've been in ministry now for about 35 years. And about 23 years ago, I accepted a new staff ministry position as a senior high student's pastor at a very large church in a big city, won't give the city away, but I had just turned 30 years old and, you know, it was my first rodeo in a mega church. I had just resigned from a small church that I was on part-time staff that was nestled inside the hills of our rural town in West Virginia. The congregation was running about 150 or so people. And the youth group I pastored had approximately 40 students. So I thought I was big stuff because, you know, most of our church, a big chunk of our church was a lot of kids. And, you know, prior to that, I had spent about five years building up this youth ministry. And I was just super proud that our kids comprised a large portion of this church. And, you know, being the arrogant young student pastor that I was, um, I felt that I had outgrown my position there. You know, I was ready for a bigger city and a better church. Quotes around the word better, better position, better platform. You know, and I I had noble intentions, but I really wasn't prepared for what was going to come ahead of me. And this new church that wanted me to come on staff, they needed me to start immediately. So I just packed up and headed out. Really, I needed to go ahead and get there. And I initially made the transition without my wife. Um, because she needed to stay behind and sell our first home while I made arrangements at my next assignment. And not only that, she was six months pregnant at the time with our first child, and due to some complications with the pregnancy, her doctor had placed her on bed rest and just wouldn't allow her to travel at the time. So I went ahead and went on, and you know, the day came. I finally arrived in the big city with my guns blazing and spurs sharpened, my lasso twirling around. Man, I was a cowboy in town. I was ready to rope this calf and I was going to turn this youth group in this church around. Unfortunately, after three months of getting my spiritual teeth kicked in, I was called to the pastor's office. And there was a parent volunteer who at the time was a little bit threatened by me. And she just decided from the start that I had to go. You know, youth pastors, you know what I'm talking about. You'll get those parents You know, and I want to encourage you, you're as much a parent pastor as you are a student or a youth pastor. You got to pastor parents. You got to pastor family members around those kids that are in your youth group. And she was real difficult. She just kind of set out as a vendetta against me. I had to go, you know, from the minute I arrived, she protested and she just fervently sought to have me fired from day one. I mean, weekly, she had some grievance or complaint And so she conspired to raise up a contention against me, and she did. She had some other parents involved. 
And I just felt constantly under scrutiny from the day I arrived. And, you know, these students, I genuinely loved them and I, I believed in them. But gradually there was a disconnect and, and most of the kids lost faith in me. And, you know, soon after that, I, I just lost all support from my church staff. You know, so my, my visions of grandeur <laughs> turned to dreams crushed, really. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit, raising my hand right now in this studio, that, you know, it wasn't solely this parent's fault. You know, I had a lot to learn in leadership. I was 30. I thought I knew it all. And, you know, even though I had an anointing on my life and giftings, I just had a lack of solid leadership training. And, you know, I have a type A personality and some of my novice people skills, all that combined together. And it just, you know, it served as the swift boot to my backside, to be honest. So just in in three short months, I found myself packing up my car and headed back to that small town in those hills of West Virginia. I'm trying to think, but I'm pretty sure I still hold the record for the shortest term of any staff member at this particular church. Now, I'm just being honest today. I'm sharing my failures with you. I'm as big a failure as anybody out there. I've failed so many times, but we can learn from our failure. And, you know, it was hard for me to go back home because I was, you know, intending on being this successful leader in the big city. And, you know, meanwhile, back home, Sherry was prepared for my return, but which would honestly be a year long season of mourning for me. And it was just painful coming back to my small rural community and and hearing folks say things like, well, I guess it didn't work out in the big city, did it, buddy? I mean, it just hurt, man. It was deep. You know, my pride had been crushed. And it just took me about a year to work through some depression, anger, and disappointment. Now, let me just take a step back to another significant part of the story. So right right before I turned in my official resignation there at this church, um, a meeting had been scheduled to make it official. And it was going to be a meeting with this disgruntled parent, um, the student ministries director, and a few other parent volunteers. And of course, you know, the senior pastor was going to be a part of it as well. And so about a week before this meeting took place, I was eating dinner at the college and career pastor's home. And just as I was biting into this piece of steak, I could feel my back left molar crack. And I I literally pulled the tooth out in my hand. And so shortly following that dinner that evening, I made an appointment with the dentist to have the tooth completely pulled, root, root canal and everything. And I didn't know it at the time, but I actually scheduled this dentist appointment on the same day that I was going to meet the parents and the pastors to give in my official resignation. And so I think my dentist appointment was sometime in the early afternoon, right around lunch, around 1 p.m. And then the resignation meeting was scheduled later that afternoon, around 3 or 3.30 p.m. on the same day. So I drove to the dentist office, and as I was making my way through the traffic, very busy traffic in this big city, I was just miserable and broken. I was in tears. I was upset. I was nauseous. And, uh, you know, although I, I couldn't wait to get back home to see my wife, I was ready to go. I was just sinking into depression. And as I got about two or three blocks away from the dentist office, I looked out the passenger side of my car and I saw this marquee sign in front of a fire station and it said, you have what it takes. Now, I don't know how or why in the world someone would have put those letters on the sign that day, but I know why God wanted them there. Because it was to remind me that my story wasn't over. 
And I'm saying that to you while you're listening. Nothing or no one can cancel or stop God's plan for your life. And I felt that that day. And I felt like a little ray of hope was breaking through. So (laughs) I got to the dentist office for my appointment and the receptionist told me to sign in, be seated, wait for my name to be called. And so the nurse called me and I followed her back to the operating room and was seated in that dental chair. And the dentist just told me to make myself comfortable. You know how they do. I'm never comfortable in a dentist office. I don't know about you. Never comfortable. Always nervous. Um, I do not like needles. I'm not good with that. And uh, so he told me to make myself comfortable. And then he said, I'm going to administer an initial dose of laughing gas to relax you. And I was like, okay, okay. So after a few minutes of just, you know, I call it, I call it allowing the happiness to take effect. You know, the nurse asked me if, if I could feel that sharp pointer pricking my molar, why is it when the dentist pricks your teeth that Um, He asks you if you can feel it and you always say, yes, I can, even though you're numb, you know, you can still feel it. So uh, they, they offered to give me another round of laughing gas. And after several minutes of that, you know, the sedative was starting to take effect. The nurse pricked my tooth again, and I was still sure I could feel it. At least, you know, that's what my mind told me. And so she kindly provided me another dose of reassurance. So I guess third time's a charm. And so to this day, I can't remember much about that procedure except for them walking me out to the reception's desk after uh, everything was over and asking me if I had a ride back to my office. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I came by myself. I didn't have anyone to drive me. I don't know what I was thinking, but honestly, I can't even remember how I got back to the church. It had to be a miracle from God. The only thing I vaguely remember is walking into the office and still recovering from that Novocaine shot. You know, I think one side of my face was drooping down and my cheek was stuffed with cotton balls. I think maybe a little blood was trickling down the corner of my mouth. I'm just picturing this. I can't really remember a whole lot about it, but I do remember one of the parent volunteers when I, when I opened the door to the office that I had the meeting at three o'clock. You got to know, had this surgery at one o'clock. I'm back at the office at three, still a little buzzed on Novocaine, got my mouth stuffed full of cotton and I'm, I'm a little woozy. And I remember a parent volunteer. I can't remember who it was looking at me with kind of a, you know, a, a look of shock. And, and she said, are you okay? And I just responded with this big grin on my face. And I was genuinely totally fine. And I said, I've never been better. (laughs) And, you know, I could see them all sitting there with their legs crossed and their arms folded and scowls on their faces. You know, they're ready to run me out of town. But interestingly enough, I never had felt better in my life. And, you know, isn't that just like God? I feel like looking back on that, God reminded me that day that I really had what it takes by seeing that sign and God showed me that he believed in me, accepted me, had a plan for me. He was telling me it's going to be okay. A little ray of hope was shining through. He even allowed me to get three full doses of laughing gas and sent me into that disapproving group. And he was preparing me to move on with my life and go to the next season. You know, this is a really real experience. I'm not making this up or taking any creative liberty, guys. I'm just telling you what happened. And and this real experience has taught me lifelong leadership lessons. Let me tell you something. I want you to write this down. The joy of God's confirmation prepares us for man's accusation. Let me say that again. The joy of God's confirmation prepares us for man's accusation. And that's what happened to me that day. 
God gave me some joy, triple joy, and sent me into that room and their disapproval didn't even affect me. And I've learned that through these leadership failure experiences that no matter how hard I fall or how bad I fail or how much people disapprove of me, God's love, acceptance, and plan for my life is all that matters. No matter how hard or how bad you blow it, God promises that he's going to finish what he started Philippians 1 and 6. I say this a lot, and I am sure of this, Paul said, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And I'm just so excited that I get to share some things about failure today. That real story, that real experience taught me something that I've never forgotten, and it has played so powerfully into my life. Hey guys, I want to take just a moment right here in the middle to remind you to subscribe to this podcast, leave us a generous review. Come on, give us five stars, tell us what you think, and then share this podcast with one or two other people in your circle of relationships who need to hear what you've heard today. You know, all of us experience failure. It's just a fact of life. And I'm so thankful that I get to take some of these failures that I've experienced in my life and what God has taught me about failure and share them with you so you can move on in your journey and learn from your own failures. And we're going to take the second half of this podcast and I'm just going to continue to encourage you to move forward, learn from your failures. It's a normal part of anything, leadership, marriage, parenting, relationships, Failure is the normal course of our lives. We fail more than we succeed. And I hope that what I share with you today is going to continue to encourage you. So let's jump back into this podcast, Learning Through Failure. Now, one very important thing I've learned about this whole idea of learning through failure is we need to look back to see forward. A lot of people will tell you, forget your past, deny it, block it out, don't look at it, don't think about it and just move forward. But, you know, guys, there's great value in looking back in order to see forward. You know, we don't need to use our past as a compass, but sometimes we need to use it as a reference. You know, in spite of my many past mistakes, and many they are, here I am today, several years later, still fudging and forging new adventures in leadership and life and marriage and parenting. I'm continually learning that life often takes what we have so that we will have what it takes. You know, my leadership journey, my life journey has been a cycle of failing, processing, learning, proceeding, succeeding, and doing it all over again and again. And, you know, it's easier to teach this stuff than it is to actually live it. But if you're going to be a leader, a benchmark person, a significant contributor to society and life and ministry and relationships, you're going to have to be a player in the field. You can't escape it. You know, it's one thing to bury your nose in leadership books, but it's another thing altogether to get your nose busted up while leading. You know, I always say many leaders are trained in the classroom, but few are developed in the clash room. You know, Winston Churchill, he's one of my favorite leaders, and he once said, success consists of going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. You know, simply put, a bend in the road isn't the end of the road. And as you listen to this podcast today, I'm praying that you're going to be encouraged that no failure is too great to derail you permanently. 
And I want to encourage you, if you choose right now to learn from your mistakes, get up, brush yourself off and keep going, you will. Can I say that again? You will become a greater leader than you could have ever imagined. You know, in my own experience as a leadership mentor, teacher, minister, preacher, podcaster, YouTuber, I've had to deal with my past torment so I would not be a tormentor to others. If you want to be a mentor, you've got to deal with your torment or you'll be a tormentor. And I'm telling you, if you haven't failed yet, if you're trying to avoid failure, I'm going to give you some advice. You're going to fail. That's just how it is. And I say when, not if you fail, when you fail, you cannot accept that you are a failure because failure is not a title. It's an event. Failure doesn't have to be fatal or final. And I believe that even better than that, failure can be fruitful if we learn from it. I also have found out for me personally that failure is actually necessary in order for us to become the authentic and relatable people that God wants us to be. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11 says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. Watch this is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul goes on to say, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, man. How can you be glad in your weaknesses? How can you be happy and have an upbeat attitude about your weaknesses and your failures? Well, it's simple. Paul goes on to say, so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know, we need not to be flippant about our failures and flippant about our weaknesses. I'm not suggesting that, but we need to be glad and content in our weaknesses, knowing that Christ's power rests in normal failures like you and me. Paul said, I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in insults and in hardships and persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And guys, every leader has failed. I I wish I had the luxury of saying, not me, but the truth is, I know that I failed more times than most. And I certainly have failed more times than I succeeded, immeasurably. But in my experience, I've learned from my failures more than my successes. You know, failure taught me what success never could. And not only have I learned more from my failures, I actually teach better from them. I'm teaching you right now because of failure. In in fact, my most impactful teachings and podcasts and sermons and YouTube videos aren't how I've won, but what I've learned when I lost. And I'm just going to tell you, you not only go through failure, you grow through your failure. Overcomers have learned to come over some things. And I believe that real victories aren't won without fighting some real battles. No grit, no glory, no cross, no crown, no trials, no triumph. The winning formula for leadership, watch this guys, is try plus umph equals triumph. The best leadership mentors with any legitimate experience know better than to try and convince people that they are some breed of superheroes. We're not. True leaders are honest about their shortcomings. And they're constantly seeking ways to help guide people through their own failures. That's really what leadership is, guys. It's helping people learn how to overcome hurdles. And successful leaders, you know, they've regularly learned to manage hardship and navigate through pain and pressure. 
And I've always said this to young leaders. It's one of the biggest statements I've probably made to young leaders. It's not as much about what we've learned to do, but more about what we've learned to endure. You know, people will say, hey, man, how did you do that? How do you do that? And my my best answer is it's not what I'm doing that's important. It's what I've learned to endure, what I've had to make it through. And if you're going to be a real leader and you want to be a great leader, you're going to have to increase the threshold of your ability to sustain some pain because leadership pain is absolutely essential to your growth. And I believe that we lead others best when we can, from our own difficult experiences, help people pilot those painful ups and downs of their own leadership. Um, In my normal experience in leadership ministry and leadership coaching, I found that most people don't relate to the success of their leaders as much as they do their failures. You know, personal stories of failure immediately make that connection with people. You know, we tend to listen and receive from our leaders more effectively when they open up and tell the truth about their own disappointments, their hurts, their shortcomings. And the good news about all that is that God uses leaders who fail. And I say, why? Because there aren't any other kind of leaders. You know, leaders inspire people by their vulnerability. Vulnerability is simply the ability to be vulnerable. You know, many leaders don't embrace this concept. They're afraid of it. They run from it. You know, we're afraid of what others will think if they see beyond our phony veneer of success, whatever that means. And yet the irony is by hiding our failures, we actually rob people from the needed inspiration for their true growth. You know, when we stumble, it makes us humble. And I've slipped a lot. I, I've i written a book called Leader Slips because leaders slip. And I've fallen hard. I haven't just slipped. I've fallen hard. I've failed miserably and blown it big time. You know, but I'm grateful God didn't say I couldn't be a leader anymore. Aren't you? If you're a leader listening to me right now, aren't you glad God didn't say you couldn't be a leader anymore? Man, what a gracious God we have who believes in us. And if I were to judge myself based on my own performance as a leader, I probably would have dismissed myself a long time ago. But God had other plans. Thank God. And with every failure, God gave me chance after chance after chance to just get it right. And even when I was doing it wrong, he kept me in the game. God just patiently sends us right back into the game to keep going until we succeed. And truthfully, as I was writing leader slips, I remember this. I was thinking, man, I don't have the right or the authority to write a book on leadership because I'm still leading and learning from my own failures. It just never ends for me or for you or for any leader I've ever met. After it's all said and done, I'm grateful that our failures don't disqualify us. I'm living proof, guys, that God qualifies us as leaders only by his grace. And growing is not only about leaving your mistakes. Don't get me wrong. It's also learning from them. Don't just leave your mistakes. You learn from them. But what is a mistake? It's a missed take. And learning from our missed takes teaches us to resharpen our focus, align our aim at the target, stretch the arrow back, and shoot again. And archers will tell you this. They're able to get closer to accuracy because they recalibrate their objective target and they're able to fine-tune their shot until they hit the bullseye. And I'm just here to tell you, Failure does not pull you farther away from your goal. Failure moves you closer to it. Just like that archer I just talked about. Man, it helps you sharpen your focus and fine-tune your aim. And uh, 
you'll get closer to succeeding every time you fail. Um, Failure just simply reminds us that we are totally dependent on God. And perspective, guys, is the key to you learning. Those I know who are great leaders have learned from their failures, and they know that when they learn from their failures, they know they can never ultimately fail. Great leaders take risks, and every time you take a risk, there is a potential to fail. And you have to settle the fact that you're going to fail and fail a lot. But if you don't settle this now, you're going to always be disappointed with yourself or disillusioned with everybody else. But be encouraged. Failure will make you better. You know, failure gives you depth and substance that superficial and surface leaders don't possess. Real leaders possess a certain moxie. I like that word. I use that word a lot. Moxie. It's that special factor that enables people to command a room. Um, You know, titles and trophies and charm and charisma don't make real long lasting impact. It's the bumps and the bruises and our nicks and knocks that give us that rugged resolve, give us that moxie, substance. You know, God wants to build people of substance. You know, I always say preachers may have a lot of degrees, but can they bring the heat? You see what I did right there? Uh, Preachers that know how to bring the fire have been through the fire. Leaders that know how to bring the pain have been through the pain. And you may have graduated with some honors and some accolades, but the best leaders are the ones that graduate from the University of Hard Knocks and often experience dishonor. I I say they've they've earned a real PhD, pressures, hits, and difficulties. Um, They learn more from those pressures than what they were taught by the professors. Can I say that again? You can learn more from your pressures than you can from the professors. Man, that's good. You need to tweak that. Um, We just learned something from the sting of failure. God didn't call us to be analysts. He called us to be agents in the field. And real leadership is learned and earned on the field and in the fray by taking the tests before we learn the lessons. Hmm, I wonder where I got that statement from. (laughs) You'll have to go back and listen to those podcasts. But this is the stuff that great leaders are made of. Guys, come on. I've fallen into some pits. I know you have too. And potholes. Um, You're not going to be able to jump over all the potholes. And I just hope that through, you know, this podcast today, as you've listened, that I've been able to steer you in a better direction, a hopeful direction through your failure. Some of you are failing right now. You feel like you're blowing it. It's useless. I'm telling you to stay in the game and be encouraged. You know, embrace the pain. Embrace that cactus right now. And if you feel alone and assume that you have no mentors, join the club. You know, you're, you're going to feel alone. You're going to feel like there's no hope. You know what? Everybody goes through that. Don't bail because you don't feel any hope right now and you don't feel comfortable and you're failing. Don't bail. I always say when you're going through a bad season, don't sell the farm. You know, some farmers have bad seasons. They don't go around and go out the door and say, I'm selling this thing. No, they endure. They stick it out. And I want to encourage you that you can learn from your failures. I pray that what I've said today has greatly encouraged you. And these words have jumped out of these speakers in your earphones, into your heart. Embrace your failures. God's going to take you through it. He's going to get you through it. And you're going to come out better after it's over. And uh, if you've made some leadership mistakes, good. We all have, but God's going to help you fine tune your direction and your aim 
and you're going to be back on top before you know it. And then you're going to fail again. And then you're going to be back on top. That's how it works. Long-term leadership. You're in it for the long haul. So don't run and bail when times get hard. You'll make adjustments. You'll make corrections. You won't always make the same mistakes. And if you learn through your failures, you're going to be a leader that will be remembered. Man, that is all the time we have left for today. Hey, before we close, I want to ask you four quick questions for some reflection and application. Number one, what are some leadership mistakes you've made and what important lessons did you learn from them? Number two, who are some of your greatest mentors and what failures did they share with you and what did it teach you? Number three, are you afraid to share your failures with others and why? And number four, what point or points in this podcast stood out to you the most and how has it inspired you today? Hey, listen, if this podcast has inspired you, I want to remind you to subscribe to it. Leave us a generous review. Give us five stars. Tell us what you think and then share this podcast with one or two other people in your circle of relationships who need to hear what you've heard today. Hey, I'll be back again real soon with another encouraging teaching, something to help you discover how to have peace and joy to the fullest in every area of your life. Until then, we'll see you.